0: RadioInfluence.com. Why Crusher? It's good to see
1: you. You're
0: listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Croshell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at ten twelve sixty with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks. And welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Kershell, and we're your weekly source for performance information. Hey, thanks so much for joining us this week. If you have any questions, comments, smart remarks, reach out to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our email. Follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Crush. And on all other social media platforms, search out Crush Performance, and we can hook up there. All right, today, listen, it's that time of year. We're heading into the fall, and as the NBA... NHL seasons get underway. The NFL is rocking and rolling through their season. Baseball's wrapping up. And all of the baseball players out there from grassroots right up to the pros are now looking to what I feel is the most important time of the year, the offseason. Coming up today, we'll visit with former major league pitcher and founder of the Five Tool Fieldhouse, Mike Johnson. Mike spent a lot of time in the game around the world. He's also now coaching. I've spent some time with him with the Canadian junior national team, and he's brought all of his experiences now uh, to coaching. And he's got a fantastic approach. And we're going to talk about his experiences playing internationally, how he's using his experience as a professional pitcher in the big leagues and how he's now working that into helping young athletes chase down their dream. And most importantly, just enjoy the game of baseball. We're going to talk about the injury rates in the game and what we think we can do to offset these incredible, crazy trends that we're seeing. Listen, one of the things I firmly believe in baseball right now is if you can stay healthy, you've got a real good shot at doing something special because listen, the number one reason athletes never truly reach their potential, the number one reason, is injury and repetitive injury. And baseball is off the charts right now when we look at shoulders and elbows and what's going on from grassroots right up to our pros. We've got a major, major problem. And uh, there's some reasons we feel are probably more responsible than others. Let's talk about it today. But what should you be thinking about as you head into your baseball offseason? Well, without question, if you've listened to the show, you've heard me say this time and time again. The throwing motion in baseball, all right, is one of the most complex movements in all of sport. There's no doubt about it. Left unchecked and, and, and unmanaged, it quickly becomes one of the most dangerous movements in sport, period. There is nothing as stressful, nothing quite like it, all right? So to offset the risk here, there are certain things you can do. But if you're a position player or if you want to increase your speed on the field, your reaction time, if you want to increase your ability to hit the ball, there are so many things you can do. And the offseason is the time to get it done. You know, when we work with our players, uh, one of the things that we really focus on through the latter part of the season is one, yes, honing in and really finishing strong and also finishing in the best shape possible so you can capitalize on the offseason. You know, depending on where you're at in, your, in, in the standings or what's going on in your fall ball as you head into, you know, sort of the off-season time, uh, it can be a time to compete hard if you're into the playoffs. You know, we're looking at the Major League World Series right now, and that's a very serious time. That's a maintenance time. Everything's focused on top performance. But for a lot of our athletes, especially at the developmental levels, um, you know, who might not be competing for a playoff spot or a championship um, uh, it's a time to hone your skills, really focus on oh, how you want to finish you know your season and get ready for the off season. And I say this very, very seriously. One of our big focuses as we head into the fall for our baseball players is making sure you have established and maintained and even increased your cardiovascular performance. Make sure that you have balanced and tried to manage your posture over the course of the season because listen, if you look at the average baseball player right now, let's just say, you know, 10, 11, 12 year old, right up to college level. You know, if you're in a program that plays three or four times a week and practices a couple of times a week, you're throwing hundreds of baseballs per week. Just playing catch, warming up, horsing around, but in the game as well. And if you think about what's happening in the cages in terms of hitting, you're probably taking thousands of swings per week. Now, Listen. If you look at, just just think about what happens in your body as you throw a baseball. Whether it's from your position or whether it's off the mound. Just think of the muscles that are working and how they work. Baseball is a very one-sided sport. And this is something we have to be thinking about through the entire season. We have to work to offset the one-sidedness of the sport. Hitting is much the same. As much as we're concerned about the throwing shoulder and the shoulder girdle and the asymmetries and the muscle imbalances that can cause our skeletons to to go out of alignment uh, and cause, you know, not only decreased performance, but really potentially increase your risk of injury. We have to have some kind of a program during the season to offset those hundreds and hundreds of throws per week. But for hitters as well, if you look what happens with the hitters, most certainly from hitting, there are one-sided stresses through the core as we rotate and then decelerate. Through the upper body, shoulders, and upper body, the thoracic girdle, no question about it, in the upper body. You can see muscles in the neck even from our hitters, um, depending on what side you hit. But, but really importantly, the muscles through the hips. If you were to stand up right now and just mimic a hit, you're at the plate, lining up, and just take a light, easy swing. And now look down at your hips and see how they've rotated. All of those muscles are working thousands and thousands and thousands of times a week. Very specifically to rotate and get bat speed so you can make contact on a baseball. We have to make sure that those muscles are balanced out with movements that, that, that can not only enhance performance, but keep you healthy. Left unchecked, that one-sided movement of sport can really, really bring you down. So one of the first things we do in the off-season... We take a break, of course. If you're playing multiple sports, go for it. But we have to address the one-sidedness of the game. And that's our number one priority as we head into the offseason for our players is we get them on a program to start balancing the body, get it back to kind of a neutral so we can start building up for the next season. And it's incredibly important that we carry that attitude for our position players and our hitters through the season. Remember, one of our top priorities in performance, sleep, rest, and recovery, nutrition, hydration, posture. Posture, 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 and set up in range of motion. So incredibly important. So that's one of the first things we do. And while that's happening, we start reestablishing that cardiovascular base. Because listen to me, if you're truly going to reach your potential, you have to recover from your workouts and your training. We want you at the highest level of readiness for the next session of training possible throughout the entire off-season. And then as you head into the season, we want you recovering from practices, games, and, of course, your workouts as quickly as possible. And that all relies on your cardiovascular your sleep and your nutrition so a lot of things going on there the offseason everybody i love it coming up after this break we're going to be joined by former major league pitcher and the founder of the five tool Fieldhouse, mike johnson i'm really looking forward to getting mike's perspective on all this stick around we've got a fantastic performance conversation coming up on crush performance right after this
1: This is Crush Performance. If you have questions, comments, or smart remarks, write to us at CrushPerformance.com.
0: And welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. As we head into the baseball offseason here today, thanks for hanging on over the break. I am Jeff Kershell. And if you have any questions, comments, smart remarks, get to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is the email. All right, let's get to it. We are joined now by former Major League pitcher and founder of the Five Tool Field host, Mike Johnson. Mike, hey, thanks for joining us. We know it's a busy time of year, but what a great time to have you on to discuss a little offseason baseball. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Yeah, no problem, Crush. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, great. Well, the timing couldn't be better. Of course, we're watching a pretty incredible World Series kickoff here and it's going to be a battle. The Astros, who kind of have a, a tainted sort of a persona in the baseball world right now, of course, coming off the sign stealing incident from a few years ago in the Braves you know, who really overcame a lot of adversity this year with some major, major injuries, losing a couple of key players and then losing one of their starting pitchers last night with a broken fib uh, and a comebacker. A real tough go, but it's been fascinating to watch the Braves climb their way into the World Series, and it's been interesting to see how the Astros have responded to, you know, the baseball and sporting world after that cheating scandal. Um, What were your impressions of the season, Mike, and uh, the playoffs so far?
1: Uh, I think the playoffs have been pretty exciting. I mean, watched uh, watched a lot of good baseball, a lot of good teams in there. And, uh, yeah, different storylines kind of coming all over the place from, from different teams. Um, with the two teams that are, that are left, I mean, obviously everybody's talking about how the Braves had a losing record halfway through the year and ended up making the playoffs. Now the World Series, overcoming all those injuries and uh, key acquisitions around the trading deadline that... Uh, the GM made to make that team competitive and they just clicked at the right time. And obviously now they're carrying that through, uh, through the championship series. And then as far as the Astros, I mean, they're, they're kind of the villain of, of major league baseball, but I think they kind of, they kind of thrive and enjoy that, that title. And uh, ah. they play off, it, they play off it. Well, I mean, Korea and uh, Altuve and a couple of the key players that. Uh, we're around during that scandal. Obviously some players have moved on Springer to, to the Blue Jays. But uh no, I think uh I think it just sets up kind of like good guy, bad guy type scenario with uh, with the World Series and I think a lot of people are pulling for the Braves, except for maybe some people in Texas. But uh, <laughs> but no, makes makes for makes for a pretty exciting series.
0: Yeah, sure. I, I like I think you're right there too. I think they are feeding off and I think the Astros are feeding off it. They've got something to prove and you know they're they're trying to put that behind them. It's going to haunt them, though, man. It's going to haunt them forever in the baseball world. You know how you know how funny the baseball world is, man. Those things hang around. So so you're right. It's set up kind of as good guy versus bad guy. Hey, one thing I really wanted to get to, Mike, you spent five years in Major League Baseball. You've traveled the world in the game. Uh, you've been coaching. You work with the Canadian national team as well. Um, I really actually was really uh, intrigued to get your impressions of what's happening in the baseball landscape with the contraction of the minor league teams, you know, 40 plus teams being eliminated from affiliated baseball really changes the landscape for developing and up and coming players in terms of high performance pathways. There's over a thousand players now that would probably normally sign a pro contract that aren't signing anymore. So now they're out there trying to find places to play and fine tune and develop their craft so they might get a shot at chasing down their dream. Hey, for a guy who's been through that system, Mike, and you know you've seen those players come out of the you know the the far reaches of uh, the draft and you know these players that come out of nowhere to actually become impact players um, do you have any thoughts on that mike? i you know I was just really interested to get your thoughts to see how you feel these changes might impact the game
1: um it's, it's really hard to say. I mean, I think players are going to be – it's it's kind of weird. Like, they, they get rid of teams. Like, back when I played, there I believe there were seven teams to the Blue Jays' minor league system that you had a chance to go through and really kind of had time to develop your game. There's lots of players, lots of opportunity to, to play somewhere. So, with reducing the amount of teams that, that are there, like, you kind of wonder – For me, just off the top of my head, like, does it go against, like, all of this protection, especially for pitchers, right? Where, well, starting pitchers, instead of a quality start going seven innings, now it's like, oh, if you give me four or five, then the rest of the bullpens gonna kind of take it over. Well, how does that kind of, in my mind, translate to what they're doing in the minor league system, where now guys are getting rushed going through, they don't have the same amount of time, there's not enough teams. Because even though even though there's still places to play through there. There's not as many teams. There's there's more competition within that, and the same amount of guys are getting drafted every single year. So you better prove yourself re- really, really quick. And yeah, it'd just be interesting to, to see like what what uh, what happens with guys. What what steps are players going to take to really kind of separate themselves from from their teammates and their competition within their association to stick around because, yeah, I just think the competition is going to go way up and who knows if if, if guys are going to get to the big leagues younger and younger and younger. and It'll be interesting to see what happens.
0: Yeah, no, it's a great perspective, Mike. We're talking with Mike Johnson, the uh, founder of Five Tool Fieldhouse. You can check them out at file, uh, 520Fieldhouse.com. Um, Mike, you played in the big leagues for five years, you went through the minor league system. So I really do appreciate your, your thoughts on that for sure. And, uh, I wanted to get this from you too, because one of the things that I think I'm seeing is, you know, there's fewer players now, uh, inside organizations. I agree with you a hundred percent younger players, I think are going to be rushed along at a different pace and we'll see how that, that turns out for sure. But also now there's not going to be as many of those veteran players there in the minor leagues that are there sort of, you know, showing the younger guys how to go about their business. And I think that could be a big loss in the in you know, in the big picture of the game. Um, were there players as you were coming up, Mike, that sort of set the tone or that you looked at to say, okay, that's how it's
1: done. Um, in the minor league exists in the minor league system, well, I'm kind of like a unique case because um because I ended up getting rule five after my fourth year. So right. I went from I went from low A ball to the big leagues in, in one year. So I kind of took a different path, but so like my veteran guys that I kind of really looked up to were the guys that I played with in Baltimore because when, uh, the year before in 1996, I was in Hagerstown, Maryland, I was with a bunch of peers. So we didn't have like that veteran 25 year old that had been in the association for a little while. We were, uh, we were all like 19 years old. So, uh, yeah, when I went to the big leagues, it was guys like Cal Ripken, um, Mike Mussina, um, players like that that I kind of tried to emulate, and a um, couple of guys out of the bullpen where I spent a lot of time, just kind of watched them and and learned. And obviously, they would give me a hard time as far as like what to do, what not to do, how to act, how to respond, how to be respectful, like to obviously veteran players and stuff. And then once I went to, I got traded to Montreal and then the following year, I ended up going to double A and triple A. I was still pretty young. I was only like 20, 21, 22 years old at that time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the landscape was a lot different. Like there was a lot of veteran players on that double A, triple A team that had been around a little while, but uh, it was kind of weird. I was kind of thrust into that position Um, With some of those older guys with the path that I had taken being in the big leagues the year before and stuff. So I actually kind of found like guys at that time during my career actually looked up to me and I tried setting the example based on what I had learned uh, the previous year in 1997 through Baltimore and Montreal.
0: Yeah, no, Mike, and that makes total sense to me for sure. I mean, just being up there and and getting a taste of that uh, is so powerful. Hey, listen, Cal Ripken Jr., are you freaking kidding me, man? Hey, I remember the first time uh, with the Blue Jays that we rolled into Baltimore uh, when I I came up as the uh, head strength coach for for the Blue Jays. I remember the first time coming out of the tunnel and seeing Cal Ripken taking ground balls in third base. One of my all-time favorite players as a kid, of course, right? I got goosebumps, man. And I just stood there going, you know, you know, 50 yards away and going, there's Cal freaking Ripken <laughs> Jr. Are you kidding me, man? Oh my gosh. What a freaking clubhouse to be thrusted into. Um, like how incredible was that?
1: Well, it was good. Um, it was, it was a little, I wouldn't say it was a little bit and it wasn't really intimidating. I mean, I went to spring training, obviously there was younger guys around there and stuff, but, uh, I was the only rookie only rookie on the opening day roster for Baltimore at that time. I think the average time a big league time on that roster was probably like eight nine ten years like it was it was crazy the uh the talent and and veteran presence that we had on that team but uh no, they made it really, really comfortable for me and I think my kind of personality helped out i mean if I was kind of tubbed in there. Coming in there with on a high horse and and trying to kind of voice my opinion on some things, it might have gone a little bit different. But I'm a pretty quiet guy, and like I said, I just kind of sat back, watched, learned, asked as many questions um, about their game and and uh, how it could relate to mine, and just try to get better that way. But but yeah, I was I was pretty quiet, so I got along with everybody really well.
0: Yeah, we're joined by Mike Johnson, former major league pitcher and uh, founder of the Five Tool Fieldhouse. You can check them out at 5toolfieldhouse.com. Hey, Mike, as we head into the offseason here, of course, you know, we're watching Major League Baseball with great interest. It's such an incredible time of year, you know, this transition. We look back to the season to see what went well, uh, we look forward to see what we need to do. The offseason is such a critical, critical time. Hey, one thing I, I, I'm really interested in talking to you about, you had a chance to go play in Japan and Korea and Taiwan. I have never had an opportunity to go over there. I've heard the stories and the folklore of the uh, the approach to baseball in, in that part of the world. I have worked with players who've come over, and it seems like that transition for players who come from, say, the J- Japan League or or from Taiwan to come into Major League Baseball, or professional baseball here in North America, it's quite a transition. Uh, and one of the, you know, through through the, you know, through the time, I've watched all the players, you know, whether it's with Yankees or Boston or the Dodgers. But one player I've really keyed in on coming over was uh, Otani, Shohei Otani. Um, of course, being a two way player, uh, of course, you know, like most of the players that come over, he kind of broke down in his first couple of years, and we're praying that he came back and and was able to play the the way he is now. And boy, oh boy, what a show is he, he's putting on! Hey, maybe for our audience and for me as well. What 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 did you notice was the big difference when you went over to play in Japan after spending you know time in the big leagues here in North America?
1: Um, well, obviously, I'm sure things have changed a little bit over over there. Last time last time I played in Japan was like early 2000. so I'm sure I'm sure some things as far as training. I mean, they're they're state of the art. They're always on top of things as far as um, New methods of doing um, different things as far as training, throwing programs, stuff like that. So, um, but back when I was there with uh, in Japan, Korea, and and Taiwan, what I kind of found is just it's a real old school kind of mentality where like there's a definite definite hierarchy as far as like coaching staff, where it's like the manager comes in and the managers, um, it's like uh I'm trying to think of the movie the Mr. Baseball the Mr. Baseball one with Tom Selleck uh, oh, the managers yeah the managers like the ultimately respected guy yeah what he says goes and it was I really found it was kind of like that and it was a weird thing for a player like a foreign player to come in there because um you you kind of know what it takes for you to be successful because that's why they signed you to come over there but you come over there and you see that they're doing things a little bit differently. And it's, you wonder, you wonder yourself if, okay, do I have to start abiding by these type things in order for this team to like me, keep me around, or do I keep doing what I'm doing where it's, they may not like, and they don't want to keep me around. So it's kind of like a fine line. So um, when I was there, they do a lot of things in um, uh, quantity, whereas I was always under the, the uh, impression of doing things like more quality over quantity, uh, especially when it comes to like the small thing, like bullpens. So I remember going to spring training with uh, my team in South Korea at one time, and I didn't even touch the ball because we reported a the spring training in mid-January season that didn't start until um, like the regular big league season. Until <laughs> of April.
0: That's a heck of a spring training, man. Oh my gosh. Wow! So I
1: came in, I, I came in, I didn't even touch a baseball. So I'm just playing catch. I'm kind of getting my arm ready. And the manager comes up and he goes, when do you, when do you throw in a bullpen, like, I want you to throw a bullpen next week. I'm like, no, it probably won't be until like mid-February. And like his jaw dropped and <laughs> and uh, I'm like, oh, what happened? And the interpreter's like, I don't think he's very happy. So they push my bullpen forward. I think it's like beginning of February now, like first week in February, I throw a bullpen. And I'm throwing. I literally throw about, like, 15 to 20 pitches. And the manager's standing right behind my bullpen. And I'm, like, on pitch 18, 19, something like that. And I go, all right, one or two more. And the manager just kind of looked at me and walked away. I'm, like, turning to the interpreter. I'm, like, what's going on? And he's, like, oh, I don't think he's very happy. So, finally, they had like, this meeting with me. And they're, like, look at next bullpen you throw. We need you to throw, like, 150 pitches. And I'm, (laughs) like... Why? First off, why? And second of all, no. Like I think the most pitches I've ever thrown in a bullpen was maybe about like forty. But I came to learn like we had a we had a setup guy and a closer. They're both like two of the oldest guys on the team, like pushing forty, and both little sidearm guys didn't throw very hard. They threw, they each threw three hundred pitch bullpens side by side. What? And I'm like, why are you doing this? And they're like, oh, well, if we can't throw 300-pitch bullpens and throw quality bullpens, then our condition's not very good. So we'll be get sent to minor leagues. I'm like, holy smokes. So that was like one of my first real tastes with kind of, again, that old-school mentality that like these coaches were probably brought up on when they played and all these coaches that were – that were managing teams and, and stuff within Japan, Korea were all superstars within the league. So their just their name and their voice carries a lot of clout and players ultimately like really, really respected them and would kind of do whatever they asked, right? So yeah, there's there's a couple of different but those were kind of the ones that really stood out to me.
0: Yeah, no, and those are big differences, really big differences. If you look at the approach to the game and how they differ, you know, from the Far East to here in North America, really, really interesting. And I can imagine that the transition when you make those jumps from one league to the other, uh, that is a big transition and it does take some time. All right, we have to cut off for a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk off-season baseball and player development. Let's look at the injury rates in baseball and see if we're doing something wrong or if there's something we can do to help offset and alleviate the injury trends we're seeing in the game at every single level. Really important conversation as we talk off-season baseball with Mike Johnson right after this on Crush Performance. Stick around.
1: You're listening to Crush
0: Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at CrushPerformance.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. All right, let's get to it. We're joined by Mike Johnson, former Major League Baseball pitcher and the founder of Five Tool Fieldhouse. Mike, we we're just talking about your adventures overseas as you were playing in Japan, South Korea, and Taiwan. Incredible baseball uh, countries over there. It is a real big sport, and they produce some players. You know, one of the things that's always fascinated me about the guys that you know go and play in the leagues overseas, whether it's one way or the other is the transition that it must take, just as we were talking about in the last segment, um, the the difference in the way they go about preparing for the game. That is a massive adjustment. And when we see the players come over to the North American leagues, for example, we see them struggle initially, then they get a feel for the game and they go on to be, you know, as great or even greater than they were, you know, over, over in the Pacific Rim. Uh, but you, worked your way over there to an MVP. And that is commendable, man. Cause that's not easy to do, especially when the culture and the approach is so different.
1: Well, yeah, well that would have been in Taiwan. Right. And I kind of found like through the three, so Japan, South Korea and Taiwan that like Japan was kind of like, and again, this is going back like almost 20 years now, but yeah, this, uh, Japan was kind of the strictest. And then, it was next South Korea, like still a lot of respect for managers, but the players were a little bit looser. And then finally in Taiwan, Taiwan for me was like the closest to America. As long as you went over there and did well, which pretty much is what you're required to do when you're over in America. You do whatever you want. A lot of, a lot of people spoke English. Players were really, really laid back. And, uh, and so were the coaches. The coaches, the coaches were even a little bit more laid back. Like you could go directly up to your manager and talk. to Whereas that, that would never happen in South Korea or Japan. So, mm. I think it was maybe a comfort thing too. Plus, I mean, I think the quality of the league kind of runs the same. Also, so Japan kind of being the top at the time, South Korea like a second place, and then Taiwan third. But I think Korea is kind of catching up to Japan as far as the quality because they're they're putting out some pretty some pretty quality uh, players and, and uh, that are, that's competing with Japan and Taiwan. still a little bit of ways, a ways away from competing with
0: those two. Yeah. Mike, listen, man, you have uh, taken that incredible playing experience that you've had in major league baseball, professional ball here in North America. And, uh, you know, on the other side of the other side of the world, which is just huge. And now you're coaching, man. You're taking all those experiences and you're passing it down to the next generation. And, and I love that, Mike. And I've been around you coaching with the junior national team here in Canada and, of course, over at some of the academies here through through uh, through Canada as well here in Alberta. And, and I just love your approach. Hey, before we get on to the offseason and, and talking the offseason, I just wanted to get your impressions of Otani, right? Here's a kid that came over, uh, lit up the leagues there, but have a two-way player. I, I Just personally, just my, I, I don't want to let me know what you think, but I love the idea of having a player who can really, really pitch and really, really play a position. Well, I know that's really difficult in today's world but I kind of wish more kids in the developmental pathway would take those two sides a little more seriously or maybe get the opportunity to go both ways. Cause you just never know how it's going to pan out. Uh, do you have any impressions on Otani and you know, how that might influence the game or even player development moving forward? Cause we seem so specialized now. So early, just want to get your thoughts on that.
1: No, I, I would agree with you that definitely like specialized, specialized early position wise, but for me, like even more importantly, sport wise, like, Kids are kids are picking sports that they're sticking with, whether it's baseball, hockey, football, basketball, whatever it is, and they're sticking with that sport at a young age. Instead of like me growing up, I grew up. I played baseball in the summertime. Never played hockey, but once I got into junior high, I played every single like school sport, and uh, it just for me it just. It it could only benefit players. So yeah, as far as like Otani, um, hitting and pitching. First off, he's a freak. <laughs> um, Agreed. Basically. I
0: concur, Meg. I concur, MJ. I'm telling you right now, it's it's incredible
1: to watch. Yeah. So I mean, not only not only is he doing it like as a pitcher and a hitter at the at the highest level, he's doing it exceptionally well to to the point where he's got a shot at winning the MVP of the American League. So there's not too many of those guys around, but there has been some some guys. They're just few and far be, far between. I think uh, Brooks Kieschnick for the Brewers was a two way guy for a little bit, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I I think this will definitely open open doors for some guys that are able to do it, but still understanding that it takes a special special person, special athlete to to be able to do anything close to what he's trying to do right now. I mean, I don't think there's many guys over in Japan or South Korea or any other leagues around the world, even minor leagues, minor leagues and major leagues over here, obviously, that that somebody's doing something like that and even at half the level that he's doing it. So um yeah, I mean, maybe it maybe kinda of changes things a little bit at the college level where you're dealing with little smaller rosters and you kind of need those two way guys to fill out a roster and stuff. But I mean, at least he, you set me the example of it can be done. So anybody that's kind of, again, that old school mentality of you're you're a pitcher only, or you're our only center fielder and you can't play anywhere else. Maybe something like this will, will change that mentality for people.
0: Yeah, I agree. We're talking with Mike Johnson, founder of five, two field, those former major league player. Okay, Mike, let's get down to business here. Um, listen, uh, you now play a very important role in the developmental pathways. You know, you were you really focused on yourself through your career, of course. Now you're passing that knowledge on to players and families and teams um, around the globe, and especially in your area. Um, the indoor facilities, as you mentioned, are playing a really, really important role, but there's also a downside to that, this year-round baseball. And you mentioned something that's dear to my heart is that, that multiple-sport um, um, athlete, uh, there is a point, though, however, where athletes do need to choose, right, Mike? And, and that's where, you know, some of these indoor facilities and programs that, that give guidance year-round year uh, become even more important. Uh, you've got the field house there. There's multiple sports inside. I've been to the facility. It's fantastic. Uh, you've got uh, Premier Strength and Fitness, which is owned and ran by Barry Butt. I have a lot of time for Barry and a lot of respect for Barry and the way he approaches athlete development. Hey, let's just talk about the landscape, Mike. You know, um, in, in minor league baseball, we're seeing injuries rise. We know it, it it's at an all-time high, and over the last eight years, it's continued to rise. We know in major league baseball in 2019, there was a little dip. They added a few extra rest days. We're going to get the data from this this last year because it's the last full year to see if the injury trends are changing. But injuries continue to rise. And I just wonder, Mike, if, if we're not maybe um, looking at this game maybe through a crooked lens some way, because I just think that, that some of these injuries don't need to happen at the rate that they're happening. And now at the younger levels as well, any thoughts on that, Mike, and, and sort of the, what you're envisioning the role of something like the five, two fieldhouse is in the big picture here.
1: Well, when you, when you're talking about all these injuries, I'm assuming you're, you're mostly relating this to like arm injuries.
0: Yeah. I'm yeah. No, for sure. It, Mike. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Clarified. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, el- yeah. Elbow and shoulder. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like I'm, I mean, I'd be curious to kind of get your opinion on it too, obviously with your experience and me dealing with like young kids. But but my take on this is that everybody is so caught up in the, these velocity programs and gaining velocity. And I need to throw velocity in order to compete, need to uh, show velocity in order to get to a college, in order to get drafted, in order to make a big league roster. I think – it just, again, in my opinion, I think it's gone so far overboard that guys aren't learning how to throw. I mean, back when, back when I played and I hate using me as an example because I just hate talking about myself, but <laughs> right. But at the end of the day, like I needed to learn how to pitch with what I had. I needed to learn how to command the zone, how to change speeds and how to throw strikes. And when guys come in and work with us um, uh, during the off season, whether it's our off season programming or or even lessons and stuff, that's my main focus. One of my main messages that I tell kids when they come in, I'm like, number one, I don't care how hard you throw, and but I care where you throw, and we're gonna take a look at how you're throwing because I truly believe that there's some absolutes that um, that kids need to get into as far as positions in order to throw safer. I mean, what they're doing when you're moving your hand overhand with a baseball, you're doing the most unsafe thing in any sport because our arms weren't made to move overhand that way. They're made to move underhand. So my my main focus is to look at how they move how are they moving that hand, how are they sequencing the body, how are they timing things up in order to deliver a baseball, hopefully safer than when they came to me but ultimately command a strike zone, being able to command a fastball to both sides of the plate and a secondary pitch. So I take a little bit different approach. I don't get caught up. I don't get caught up on the velocity. I mean, at the end of the day for me, if a kid can throw hard, it's because he can naturally throw hard. That's not something that you can really manufacture. Take a kid that's throwing 78 and all of a sudden you say, okay, I'm going to make you throw 93. It doesn't really happen that way. You can either throw or you can't but there's different ways that you can do it in order to hopefully do it more efficiently and safely in my view.
0: Hallelujah. 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 Oh my goodness, Mike, I'll tell you right now, you are preaching to the choir here, my friend. Hallelujah. I agree with you on every single point there. And that's why I was so, so uh, excited to get you on here to talk about this. I, I agree with you. These velocity programs, are one of the biggest problems in our sport today and i'm with you if it's in there it will come it will come if you're doing the fundamentals properly but this rush to push velocity even before developmentally some of these athletes are ready for it and then also mike some of these programs do really work we can do it we can increase throwing velocity not that we should though you know it kind of goes back to the one of the movies i watched about the development of the atomic bomb you know um you know we were so focused on 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 could we do it We never really stopped to ask, should we freaking do it? Right. And, and, you know, when I talk to some of the scouting directors and some of the teams, they actually realize this now they're trying to get away from it. Mike, do you think this resonates potentially as a massive opportunity for the teams that actually get it? Because the number one problem in sport, especially at the higher levels, we get the minor league and affiliated pro ball um, is healthy players. If you can stay healthy right now, uh, you're worth your weight in gold, and 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 for teams and organizations that understand that velocity will come in time if things are done properly. Um, man, what I I just think there's a massive opportunity here for the organizations that get it. You, you know what I mean? Do you think Do you think that resonates?
1: Well, hope, hopefully, but I don't know. It's it's weird. It's turned into a lot of big business, right? Like, I mean every every major league team is so far into analytics and spin rate and launch angle and every, every stadium, every minor league stadium, every spring training complex has a track man system. Everyone's using caught up into this rap Soto. And I mean, we're not even talking about like weighted ball programs and stuff like that. Yeah. yet. But, um, but yeah, like everybody's caught up into like this spin rate and I'll kind of like get into that a little bit more, just again, my opinion of it. But like for me, like either, You can spin a ball, spin a breaking ball, create spin, create depth on a breaking ball or same thing on a two seamer, same thing on a four seamer. Like you, you can do, you can create it or you, or you can't, I mean, you increase a little bit of spin rate. Okay. It's going to increase a little bit of velocity, but again, I would rather focus on kind of how kids are throwing. Yeah as opposed to just getting a kid in my cage and putting a gun behind him and saying, all right, try and win a stuffed animal at the carnival. Like who's got the highest velocity of the day type thing. Right. So I don't know for me, for me, it's a lot of black and white and I'm not sure what associations and organizations are going to, are going to do because yeah, I mean, the rate of pitchers breaking down and having not just minor injuries, like severe injuries that they're losing a ton of time and, It's costing teams a lot of money. So they got to, I think they got to figure something out. Whether or not they do um, is yet to be seen, I guess.
0: Yeah, for sure. We're talking with Mike Johnson, former Major League Baseball pitcher. Mike, we were talking to a couple of the medical directors from Major League Baseball teams last year. That's 2020. And we're just looking at the data from 2018 to 2019. And one of the fastest growing surgical procedures in the United States for um, athletes under 15 was Tommy John and for kids under 12, um, it wasn't Tommy John because the, the tendon and uh, sorry, the ligament is just so strong. Still the ligament isn't breaking down. It's actually pulling the bone off. So that's one of the things Mm -hmm. we're seeing. And there again, everybody's talking about this year round baseball, early specialization. We need time away from throwing. Hey Mike, before we let you go, let's just talk a bit about the off season here. And, and for, for baseball families out there, um, and for baseball players out there, uh, and for, just from me to sort of preface, you know, my, my approach to the season. it is for me, the most important time of the year. It's a time to look back and how your last season went. It's time to look forward to the spring, then summer, then fall of the upcoming season, but also to look two or three years down the road, depending on what age and where your player is at in terms of development, the off season, Mike such an important time of the year for the baseball player. What was your approach over the years and how has it changed and, and how do you guys approach it now with the five tool fieldhouse?
1: Um, yeah, it's hard to say like going, kind of going back because it, as you know, it's always evolving, right? Like, yeah, so you go sure. through one year and you're like, I, I kind of like this piece. I didn't like this. So you're kind of picking and choosing and discarding like some things, maybe adapting something a little bit differently. So, for me, that's always an ongoing process. Um, so kind of where we are right now, we played like a pretty competitive uh, fall schedule. And with COVID this year, the, the the boys' seasons were delayed. So they actually went like four, a little bit more than four months straight of playing. So now that we're indoors and, and games are over, we're really kind of dialing back the throwing, which is kind of our rest period and focused more on again like i was talking for me like more the mechanical part the sequencing of the body in order to to deliver a ball overhand a little bit more they're doing a ton of work in the weight room uh with barry and his guys and then we're just getting we work a lot more on kind of like the footwork and mobility because that's the one thing that i find with a lot of kids they just don't move very well so a lot of our infield outfield a lot of our warm up is, is all agility, getting them, getting them moving a little bit better and keeping the feet underneath them, changing directions. And then um, obviously the hitting. And so I like kind of what we're, where we're at right now, as far as our programming, is it a lot different from where we were definitely five years ago? Absolutely. But again, you're going to have to move with the times and, uh, and you have to do your research. You have to pick and choose. Everybody's going to, out there selling their their product and and their way of doing things and you have to have kind of i guess enough knowledge or um constructive criticism to look at those and again pick and choose out of those what you kind of like um it's it's definitely a hard thing to do but with more experience it's become a little bit easier and, and adding more coaches with with more experience and pulling from their experiences. It's uh, so far this year has been a pretty good year, but it's taken a while to evolve to this point for
0: sure. Yeah. No live and learn Mike, for sure. And and it, it is a never ending. It's a never ending process. And that's one thing that, you know, knowing you for as long as I have and coaching alongside you, it's one of the things I've always appreciated about our conversations and your approach to the game. So, Hey, listen, Mike, really appreciate your time today. Fantastic discussion. As you know, the baseball world heads into the off season, you know, at all levels of the game, and uh, we're wishing you and everybody there at uh, the Five Tool Fieldhouse all the best as we sort of climb out of this COVID madness and get set for another great year of baseball in
1: 2022. Sounds good, Crush. Thanks. Thanks again for having me on, and all the best, bud.
0: Okay, there you go, Mike Johnson, everybody, former Major League pitcher and now founder of the Five Tool Fieldhouse. Listen, a great conversation there. Just a great perspective. From a baseball man, a guy who's been through the process before, but also has now really honed his skill as a coach. And listen, heed the conversation here about velocity and the rush to velocity, because I'm right there with Mike. I do believe that's one of the biggest problems in the sport today. There's such a rush to get to that velocity, to one, be recognized, which is kind of shame on us. Because if we really understood the true process of development, that can happen down the road and you can have a great career. But I'm telling you right now, what I would like everybody to be thinking about is the fact that if you stay healthy right now in the game of baseball, you have just increased your odds more than you could ever imagine of achieving your dream, you know, provided everything falls into place, of course. But one of the biggest problems we're seeing right now is the injury rates. And the number one reason we know athletes never truly reach their potential is because of injury. So in baseball, if you can stay healthy, you've got a huge leg up on the competition when it comes to chasing down your dream in the high-performance pathway. All right, thanks, Mike, for that incredible conversation. All right, everybody, that'll do it for today. Listen, coming up in November, we're going to put the final touches on our season themes of talent, talent ID, and the Crush Brain Game. We're going to wrap them up and put the bookends on and get ready for 2022. We've got an incredible series that's going to take us through November into December. It was inevitable. These two worlds, Talent talent, ID and the Crushed Brain Game, are about to collide. It's like the matrix. They are connected in so many ways, it's crazy. And this lineup of guests we're about to have on the show is absolutely world class. I can't wait to share this information going into the new year. We're going to start putting together our theme for 2022, and it's going to slide right off of Talent, Talent ID, and the Crush Brain Game as we push human performance to new levels here on Crush Performance. So get set, everybody! We've got a fantastic finale to Talent, Talent ID, and the Crush Brain Game coming up through November and into December. All right, that's it for today. Get out there, go have some fun, stay safe, but get better, and we'll talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance.